like you to take a Bible and let's open it together in the Old Testament to the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 17, and if you're visiting with us and you didn't bring a Bible, we're just glad you're here. We would like to have you borrow our copy of the Bible on the back of the seat in front of you. We're going to be on page 227, page 227 of our copy of the Bible or 1 Samuel 17 in your copy. And we're continuing now with our ongoing study in the life of the great man of God, David. Now, I don't know when you hear the phrase missed opportunity, what comes to your mind. But, you know, this weekend we are celebrating one of the greatest missed opportunities in all of American history. It's happening not far from here at a place called Sharpsburg, Maryland, the site of the Civil War Battle of Antietam. Here's what happened. It was September 1862. Commander of the Confederate Army, Robert E. Lee, had won a string of victories over the Union. And because of this, he now had the confidence to invade Maryland, which he did. Now, when he invaded Maryland, he did what every tactics book will tell you never to do, and that is, in the face of a vastly superior force, the Union Army, he divided his troops. He sent one-third of his army to Harper's Ferry to take the garrison there, and the other two-thirds of the army stuck with him as they crossed the Potomac and headed into Maryland. And he wrote down this complete battle plan in what's now known as Special Order 191, 191. There were nine handwritten copies. He sent them to his nine highest-ranking generals, and it outlined exactly where the troops were going, what the plan was, where every soldier, every division was going to be for the next 24 or 48 hours. Well, the Confederates moved out. The pursuing Union army moved in behind them into their deserted camp following them. And two Union soldiers found lying on the ground three cigars. And wrapped around the three cigars was a copy of Special Order 191 that one of these Confederate generals had dropped on the ground. And when they opened it up, what they had in front of them was the entire battle plan, tactical plan for Lee's army. They knew where every soldier in the entire Confederate army was going to be in the next two days. They rushed a copy of this, the, the copy they found to General George McClellan, the commander of the Union Army. And here in front of him, all of a sudden, was the most incredible opportunity. He already outnumbered Lee by 75,000 to 40,000. And now he had the opportunity, if he struck quickly, to drive a wedge between the two parts of Lee's army, turn on each one of Lee's parts separately and destroy them. And many historians think that would have ended the Civil War right there in 1862. What did McClellan do? Well, he hesitated. Nobody knows why he hesitated, but for over 24 hours, he did absolutely nothing. And during those 24 hours, Robert E. Lee discovered that a copy of the orders were missing. He realized what happened. He had the opportunity to regather his army together. And the result was the Battle of Antietam, which happened just a couple of days later. The costliest battle in the history of American warfare. More men were killed in one day at the Battle of Antietam than have died in any single day of warfare in American history before or since. Now, if McClellan would have seized the opportunity that was given him, that bloody battle of Antietam never would have happened. And if McClellan had seized his opportunity, he could have saved the possible loss of the 400,000 more men that would die before the Civil War was over. And if McClellan had seized his opportunity, his name would have been immortalized in American history. Instead, he blew it. 
And as one union officer said, and I love what he said, and I quote, he said, I just hope that some capable smokers derived more good out of the three cigars than McClellan got out of the order in which they were wrapped. End of quote. Now, the reason I bring this up is because there's an incredible truth here. And the truth is this, that when you look through history, the greatest opportunities in history came suddenly. They came without warning. They came when the people involved were least expecting them. And when they came, the people who were involved had to be prepared to grab them right then. If they didn't, if they didn't grab them, if they weren't prepared, the opportunity was gone. There was no time when these opportunities came to go get prepared. It was ready or not, grab them or they're gone. Now, you know what, folks? That's true of opportunities in our lives as well. And I want us to talk today about how you and I can be ready, prepared to grab the great opportunities that God sometimes sends our way when they come on us suddenly and when we have to be ready. We're going to look at today the story of David and Goliath, one of the most famous children's stories in the world. When I was going to Hebrew school as a young Jewish boy, I learned the story of David and Goliath. But then at the age of 22, in 1971, when I became a Christian, and I read the story of David and Goliath, and by the way, that makes me 49, I'll save you the trouble. When I read the story of David and Goliath, I, I said, wow, this is not just a kid's story. There is incredible truth for grown-up Christians in this story. And we want to spend a couple of weeks here drawing some of that truth out and making sure you know so what in your life. Let's look at the story. Remember the background, the Philistines and the Israelites are in a fight to see who gets Palestine, who controls Palestine. And here as we pick up the story, the Philistine army and the Israelite army have faced off at the Valley of Elah. One's on one hill, one army is on the other hill. The valley's in between. This is real close to Jerusalem, just southwest of Jerusalem. And here's where we pick up the story, verse 4. And a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out from the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. This guy was a monster. I mean, the bulls would trade Jordan, Pippin, and the laser light they've got to get this guy. I mean, you don't even, he's got dunks and he doesn't even have to jump. He just kind of goes whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. I mean, he's incredible. You say, how much did this beast weigh? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us how much he weighed, but the Bible does tell us in the verses that ensue that his armor that he wore weighed 125 pounds. And that the head of the spear he carried weighed 15 pounds, just the tip of his spear. The guy was a monster. And, 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 and so he comes out and he's going to issue a challenge to Israel. They say, Lon, wait a minute. Time out. Well, nobody can be this big. I mean, you know, God bless the Bible, but they had to get this wrong. I mean, there's no way anybody could be this big. Well, it's interesting in 2 Samuel 21, just a few chapters later in the Bible, that the Bible records four more giants from among the Philistines, one of which, the Bible says, had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in all. And I think what we have to see as we look at this is that there must have been a mutation in the gene pool of the Philistines that was responsible for producing a bunch of these kinds of people. And by the way, it is possible to be this tall. I looked it up in the Guinness Book of World Records this week. Do you know February 22, 1918, born here in the United States of America, Robert Wadlow, he was eight and a half pounds when he was born, and when he was fully grown, he grew to be eight feet, 11.1 inches tall. He lived here in America. He weighed 491 pounds, and he wore shoe size 37 AA. And you think your feet are big. 
So don't tell me it's not possible to be this big. There was a God this big in this century. Now look what Goliath did. Verse 8. He stood and he shouted to the Israelites, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Aren't you the servants of Saul? You choose a man, have him come and fight me. And the deal is, it's winner take all. If he beats me, you win. And if I beat him, we win. Why get everybody dead? We'll make it one-on-one. You choose somebody, have him come fight me. We know from archaeology, this is not an unusual battle plan. Many times in these days, armies would choose one champion to go against another champion so everybody didn't die. And it was winner take all. And that's what Goliath said. The Israelite response, verse 11, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. The guy was a beast. All right. Well, into the picture now comes David. Verse 17 tells us that David's father came to him and said, David, your brothers are away with Saul fighting, and so I want you to go and I want you to bring them some food. You say, well, why? what's wrong with their food? Well, it ran out. Look at verse 16. It says, for 40 days, the Philistine came out every morning and every evening and issued this challenge. So for 40 days, those two armies stood there and stared at each other across the valley. And so David's father said, hey, look, I don't know what's going on, but they're running out of food. Take them some food. Verse Verse 20, so early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd, he loaded up the food, and he set out. And the Bible says that as he got there, the army was just going out, verse 20, for its battle positions, shouting the war cry. And David, it says, put this food down. I mean, he was a young guy. He was excited. Man, he wanted to go see a big battle. He runs to the front. He finds his brothers, who frankly didn't like him anyway. And when he found them, he said, hey, where's the battle going to happen? And, and when he, just as he got there, verse 23 says, Goliath came out for his daily routine. And, he, and after he had come out and done his thing, verse 24, when the Israelites saw Goliath, they all ran away in great fear. Now, this is hysterical. The reason that you don't think this is funny is because this is Bible humor and you don't get it. So let me see if I can help you get this. Do you understand what this is saying? Every morning for 40 days, they went through the same song and dance. The Israelites would come out first thing in the morning going, Hey, raise the roof. All right, go get them. Rah, rah, rah. Banging their shields. Rah, 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 rah. Bumping, hitting shoulder pads, going out and staying there. Goliath would come out and talk to them and they'd all run home. 40 days they did this every morning. This is hysterical. You, you still don't think it's hysterical, do you? Well, I like it, so that's why it's in the sermon. Okay, well, anyway, David got there, and David, when he saw this, he went, What is going, what kind of, what, what is this? What are you doing? What's wrong with you people? Look what he says to them. He says, are you guys crazy? What is the problem? Verse 26, David asked the men standing near him, what's going to be done with the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? And who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he dares to defy the armies of the living God? David wasn't afraid. He wasn't scared. He was mad. He was like, who is, who does this mass of uncircumcised protoplasm think that he is that he could walk out here and make fun of the armies of the living God why hasn't one of you guys gone out there and schwacked this guy well verse 31 what David said was overheard and reported to Saul they went to Saul and they said you know there's this little midget out there telling us somebody should go schwack that Goliath and Saul called him in and David said to Saul Saul let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Now this is important. We're coming back to this. Look what he said. Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. I will go and fight him. And Saul went, What? Are you crazy? You're a runt. You're a midget. 
mini menorah. You can't go out here and fight this guy. Are you crazy? He's been a warrior from his youth. He will squash you like a bug. David said to Saul, your servant, meaning himself, I was keeping my father's sheep when a lion or a bear came up and carried a sheep off from the flock. I went after that lion or that bear. I struck it. I rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when the lion or the bear turned on me, I seized it by its hair. I struck it and I killed it. I have killed a lion. I have killed a bear. And they didn't even stand up and make fun of God. They were just doing what lions and bears do. And this uncircumcised Philistine who has dared to defy the living God... This guy's going to be a piece of cake, Saul. Nothing to it, man. He said, the Lord, verse 37, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you because none of us will, son. Now, that's as far as we want to go right now. We'll pick up and finish the rest of this next week. But it leaves... Oh, I know. That's too bad. Well, you've got to come back. But it leaves us with the really important question. What's the really important question? So what? You know, remember what we said at the beginning of the message about General McClellan? We said that he had the greatest opportunity of his life come on him when he wasn't expecting it. By surprise. Uh, unexpectedly, and, and this day began just the same way for David. Think about it now for a second. Do you think when David got up this day to go take some food to his brothers, do you think there were trumpets that went off? Do you think there was an angel that appeared to him and said to him, David, today is your day. You're going to get your name in the Bible today, son. Just go out there and do what comes, and you're, we're going to write you in the Bible today. No, he, you know, he got up. It was a normal day. He brushed his teeth. He washed his face. He put his clothes on like every other day, threw some food on an old mule, and set out to see his three brothers who weren't excited about seeing him anyway. There wasn't one thing about this day that would have given David any idea that anything special was going to happen. He didn't know Goliath was out there. CNN wasn't broadcasting then, folks. He had no clue what was going on out there and he showed up completely in the dark just minding his own business and the greatest opportunity of his life hit him right in the face but there was a difference between David and McClellan and the difference is David was spiritually prepared so that he was able to seize the opportunity God gave him and make an incredible impact for God where McClellan wasted his opportunity. Now, the question for you and me as Christians is this. How do we become like David, not like McClellan? How do we get spiritually prepared so when God brings great opportunity your way or my way as Christians, that we don't waste it, that we don't let it go by, but we've got what it takes to seize the opportunity and make a difference for God in our lives? That's the question I want to answer. But just before I do, let me say, if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, may I say to you that God is offering you the greatest opportunity that any, anyone has ever been offered in the whole world, and He's offering it to you today and every single day. It's the opportunity to have your sins forgiven. It's the opportunity to be connected in relationship with the living God. And it's the opportunity to have eternal life secured, and you know you have it. And all you have to do to make that opportunity real in your life is take God up on it. How do you take God up on it? You stop trusting everything else you've ever trusted to pay for your sin and get you into heaven. You stop trusting your good works, your good deeds, your religious activity. And instead, you transfer that trust to what Jesus did for you on the cross. Dying there to pay for your sin, plus nothing. 
And friend, if you're here, I'm going to go on and talk to some Christians who are here, who people have already made this decision about other opportunities that may come along in their life and how to be ready. But there is no other opportunity that will ever come to any of us that will even come close to the opportunity God is offering you to get eternal life. And if you've not done that, man, that's where it all starts. That's where you've got to begin, and I hope that you will. Well, let's go on. For those of us who've already trusted Christ, what about the other opportunities God might bring our way? May I say this? In my 27 years of walking with God, I have learned the greatest opportunities God has ever brought my way have always come just like David's. I wasn't looking for them. I wasn't expecting them. I wasn't out there pursuing them. I was minding my own business and wham, here it was in my lap and it was grab it or not. I'll never forget when my dad uh, had a heart attack a number of years ago, 1976, and he was in the hospital down in in Charlottesville, Virginia, and I went down to visit him. Now, my dad was Jewish. I'd been a Christian for seven years. I'd been praying for my dad for seven years. I'd been trying to talk to him about the Lord for seven years. My dad wanted no part of it. When I would bring up the Lord, he'd turn on the television set, walk out the room, change the subject, wanted no part of it. But I was praying for him. And, and I went down to see him and I walked into his hospital room and he was sitting in bed eating a banana. I'll never forget it. And, and I, he said, oh, he said, how you doing? How you doing? Fine. Yada, yada, yada for a few seconds. And he said to me, you know, Lon, he said, I've been doing a lot of thinking sitting here in bed. And I said, well, you know, dad, thinking's good. Thinking's good. And he said, no, 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 you don't understand. I've been thinking, and and here's what I think, Lon. He said, I think that maybe all the stuff you've been telling me about Jesus might actually be right. And I was like, what? It was a semi-private room. The bed next to my dad was empty. And I felt like calling the nurse and going, nurse, nurse, get this bed ready, because I'm going to faint. I'm going to need this bed. And I thought, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, Lord, help me not to blow this now. I mean, here it is, handed me. Did I, no idea this was coming, not the slightest clue. I'm happy to report I had the privilege of praying with my dad the next morning as he asked Jesus Christ into his life. But that hit me out of the blue, and it was ready or not, friends. And you know some of the greatest opportunities that are going to come your way are going to be ready or not opportunities. Maybe it's a new business venture where you've got to grab it or it's gone. Maybe it's a promotion where you've got to grab it or it's gone. Maybe it's an opportunity to share the Lord like I got with my dad and you've got to grab it or it's gone. Maybe it's a chance to stand up for God in your office or in your family and you've got to grab it or it's gone. Maybe somebody you always thought was just a friend all of a sudden pops the question to you. Now there's an opportunity and you've got to decide whether you're going to grab it or it's gone. I don't know what it may be, but we need to be ready because God's opportunities, my experience has been, almost always come when you're not looking for them. Hey, the burning bush, Moses wasn't looking for it, was he? And the call to be a missionary, Paul was not looking for it, was he? And the call to be queen, Esther wasn't looking for it, was she? And David definitely wasn't looking for Goliath. So how are we going to be ready? Well, David tells us how right in this passage. You said, no, he doesn't. This passage doesn't tell us one thing about how to be prepared. Oh, yes, it does. Watch. Look at verse 32. And David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. You say, Lon, (laughs) that doesn't tell us anything. Oh, yes, it does. Because here's what I want you to know. Those are the exact same words that Moses said back in Deuteronomy chapter 3 to Joshua when he handed the the leadership of the people of Israel over to Joshua and he said, Joshua, now you're going to go take the promised land. Remember what God did when he opened the Red Sea and how he dealt with Pharaoh. Don't worry about the people in that land. God will do it to them. And he said to Joshua, Joshua,
Joshua, do not let your heart fail. Do not lose heart on account of those people in the land. This is also the very same thing that Moses said to the Israelites. Deuteronomy chapter 20, when he was giving them a speech about following Joshua into the land. And he said to them, I know that there's big cities over there, and I know there's big armies over there, but do not lose heart that Moses said to them, God will give you the victory. And it's interesting, this is also the exact same thing that Joshua and Caleb said in Numbers chapter 14 to the Israelites, trying to counteract the bad report of the ten spies who said, we can't go in the land, we can't take the land, we can't do it, we're going to all die. And Joshua and Caleb said, no, do not lose heart because of what they told you was in that land. The same thing, we can do it. God has given it to us, we can do it. Now, do you think it's a coincidence that David quoted this same exact phraseology that Moses had used twice and Joshua and Caleb had used? Do you think that's an accident? Do you think that's a coincidence? Absolutely not, folks. Do you know why David said this to Saul? He said it to Saul because David had been in the Bible. David had been reading the Word of God. David had been studying the Word of God. David had been reading about what God did under Moses to the Egyptians and what God did under Joshua to the Canaanites and what God would have done for those Israelites 40 years earlier if they would have only trusted Him. The man had been reading and, med and, and meditating on the Word of God and that's why he took that quote and he gave it to Saul. He said, Saul, haven't you read your Bible, son? Don't you remember what Moses said? Don't you remember what Joshua and Caleb said? And, and that, their God is just as real. What, do, what are you worried about Goliath for? What is the insight we get here as to why David was spiritually prepared to grab the opportunity he had with Goliath? Friends, it's because David had been saturating himself with the Word of God. And why is that important? Because it's in the Word of God that we learn who God is, His character, His attributes. It's in the Word of God that we learn God's promises that He will always be faithful to. Because you see, every big opportunity brings, brings big risk. You cannot have a big opportunity without big risk. It doesn't happen that way. David had a big opportunity and he had nine feet of risk waiting for him on the other side of that valley. You can't have a big opportunity without big risk. And if we are going to be able to march into opportunity and face the risk in obedience to God, we better know something about God. We better know who God is. We better know what God's promises are. We better understand God's power. And we better understand that God unleashes His power when people are willing to step out and trust Him. And when David walked out on that field to face Goliath, friends, remember, he had already proven God with the lion. He had already proven God with the bear. And now he says, hey, the lion and the bear were just a warm-up. I see what God was doing. Now it's turned to your time to use the same principles and go do it on Goliath. He had confidence when he went out there on the field. The Bible says he ran to engage Goliath. Now, I don't know about you, but I, if I'd have gone out there against Goliath, I think I'd have taken a more defensive posture. I think I ought to let Goliath come to me, don't you? But the Bible says David ran to meet him. And when he was running to meet him, Goliath scoffed at him and went, What is this? A, a pygmy. They send me a pygmy. I'm going to step on you, boy. And David said to him, You think so? He said, Today I'm going to kill you. I'm going to cut off your head. And I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds. Would you say that to somebody nine feet tall? 
He said, where did David get that kind of confidence from? Well, I'll tell you where he didn't get it from. It did not come from having a positive mental attitude. That doesn't work against nine feet people. He hadn't attended some seminar on the power of positive thinking. No, David got that confidence from knowing who God is. Knowing that God was going to be true to his promises and do exactly what he had done for the bear and the lion with David. And friends, you know what? God would have delivered Goliath into anybody's hands who had the courage to walk out there. David was only special in the fact that he had enough faith and courage and enough understanding of God to go out there and give God the chance. If it had been anybody else, even Saul, God was happy to give Goliath into anybody's hands who would have gone out there. David just happened to be the one who would go out in faith. And if you and I are going to get the confidence and the courage that we need, to take opportunities when God brings them their way, our way, and to step into risky situations because we believe God's asking us to do it. It's not going to come because of positive mental attitude or pull yourself up by the bootstraps, human nonsense. It's going to come because you and I understand God and the promises of God and the character of God and we understand what God's power is all about and we're willing to be men and women of faith and step out and trust God. And the only place you get that, my friend, is by saturating yourself with the Word of God. One of the major players in the Battle of Antietam was a fellow named Stonewall Jackson. He was a, one of Lee's corps commanders, a lieutenant general in the Confederate Army. He commanded half of Robert E. Lee's army. And in saying some nice things about Stonewall Jackson, I, I want to make sure it's clearly understood that that doesn't mean I support the Confederate cause or that I support racism of any kind. I don't. But this was an extraordinary man. This was the, the Confederate general that the Union most feared, not Robert E. Lee, Stonewall Jackson. In fact, uh, Lee actually said, and I quote, if I had had Jackson with me, I would have won the Battle of Gettysburg. Lee said that. And his biographer, Jackson's biographer said, and I quote, when God decided that the Confederacy should not win the Civil War, he sealed their fate by taking Stonewall Jackson, end of quote. Now, what was it about Stonewall Jackson that made this guy so incredible? It's that he was an unbelievable opportunist on the battlefield. If you gave him even the slightest opportunity, he exploited it. You gave him even the slightest chink in your armor, and he exploited it. He was not afraid of anything on the battlefield. He was so fearless, it scared everybody around him the way he was on the battlefield. In fact, one of his captains one time asked him how he could be so unafraid in battle, and here's what he said, and I quote, he said, Sir, my religion teaches me that God is the sovereign controller of all things. Because of that fact, I am as safe in battle as I am in bed. All men should have this confidence, and then all men would be equally brave as I. End of quote. Where did this man come up with this kind of confidence? Where did he get this incredible ability to grab opportunity and, and not be afraid to step out and take risks for God? May I tell you? He got it through ten years of spiritual preparation. From the years 1850 to 1860, he lived in obscurity in a little place called Lexington, Virginia. He taught at VMI, Virginia Military Academy. And during those 10 years, he had a routine where every day he would come home from teaching class at 11 a.m. and he would go immediately to his study and for three hours he would study the Word of God. He would have a commentary in the Bible. He would take notes. And for three hours he would not allow himself to be disrupted or interrupted in any way. No phone calls, no faxes, no nothing. 
He studied standing up for three straight hours because he believed it helped his concentration and allowed him to focus better on the Word of God. And that was his plan every day of his life for ten years. Did he know the Civil War was coming? No. Did he know one day he was going to be a corps commander for Robert E. Lee? No. Did he have any idea one day that he was going to be on the battlefield with opportunities to, to exploit the enemy? No. He had no idea any of that was happening, but he knew he had days of preparation and he maximized those days of preparation so he was ready for whatever God might bring his way. Now, friends, may I point out to you that every one of us has days of preparation that God gives us before he sends some great opportunities our way. And the real issue is, do we maximize those or do we waste them spiritually? Think about it. David had, had days of preparation, didn't he? Out on the hillside, tending his father's sheep, studying the word of God. He had days of preparation that he made use of long before he ever heard the name Goliath. Moses had his days of preparation on the backside of the desert before he ever ran into the burning bush. Joseph had his days of preparation in the jail in Egypt long before Pharaoh ever had a dream. Esther had her days of preparation in Mordecai's house long before she was ever offered the chance to be queen of Persia. Nehemiah had his days of preparation as the king's cupbearer before he ever heard of a wall in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Uh, Joshua had his days of preparation for 40 years at the feet of Moses before he was ever given command of Israel. And the Apostle Paul had his days of preparation for three years in the Arabian desert before he ever heard, knew what a missionary journey was. And what made these men and women able to see things like missionary journeys and burning bushes and being queen was that they used the days of preparation they had well so when the opportunity came they were ready. And if you and I are going to be ready for the great opportunities that God's going to bring our way, it'll be because we maximize the days of preparation we have. If you're not facing the greatest opportunity of your life right this moment as a Christian, then you've got days of preparation right now. But if you wing it and you waste them and you do nothing to prepare, believe me, when the opportunity comes, you will not be spiritually able to grab it. And how do we make the most of days of preparation? Well, one of the ways is we get into the book and we become men and women of the Word of God. We become men and women of the Bible. We saturate ourselves like David had done with the Word of God. And as we learn God's character and as we learn God's power and as we learn God's promises and His attributes, we are preparing ourselves for the day. And there will be a day, you believe me, if you're a Christian and you're preparing, there will be a day when God will bring you the greatest opportunity of your life and what you're doing now is preparing so when it happens, you're ready. I have a challenge to give you as we close today. A challenge to maximize your days of preparation. And here's my challenge. My challenge is to ask you to dedicate yourself to spend 10 minutes a day in uninterrupted, undistracted, totally absorbed study of the Word of God. You say, Lon, ten minutes is nothing. I know that. But you know what, folks? If I can just get you to do it for ten minutes, I won't have to ask for fifteen or twenty because you'll be so amazed with what God will do with ten minutes if you really give it to Him. You'll want to spend fifteen or twenty. I want just ten. And if you're already spending time with God, I want ten more minutes. That's what I'm asking you for. So that you can prepare yourself not to miss 
What's the greatest opportunity of your life that may be ready to happen? Who knows when? But I promise you, when it happens, it'll happen. You won't have any clue that it's coming. And you're either ready or you're not. I want you to be ready. That's my challenge. Ten uninterrupted minutes. No phone calls. No faxes. No beepers. No nothing. Just you and God for ten minutes in the Word of God. And I hope you'll take me up on the challenge. Let's pray together. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today and, and God has spoken to you and you're willing to say, Lon, I need to do that. I need to maximize my preparation days so I'll be ready, whatever God brings my way. And I'm willing to commit, with God's help, I'm going to spend ten minutes a day or ten more minutes a day saturating myself with the Word of God. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're willing to make that commitment to God, I want you to slip your hand up. You can put it right back down. Thank you. God bless you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you. Lord, thanks for these hands that were raised. And maybe for people who made this commitment and didn't raise their hands. Lord, what really gratifies me is not just that people would raise their hands because I asked them to, but what gratifies me is because I know what you're going to do in the lives of these men and women because they raised their hands. And I want to pray that you would give each one of them the self-discipline and the motivation and give them the strength that they need, Lord, to follow through and keep the commitment they've made to you today. And I pray you would change their lives because of this commitment. Lord, I pray that you would make them and me both spiritually prepared so that when the greatest opportunities of our lives come along, which you will bring, that we will be ready like David to grab them. Lord Jesus, change our life because of the decisions we've made here today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.